if GameStop is uh, creating profit and distributing dividends and they are the plan to transition the business is fulfilled, um, why sell a good asset? That's You hear it from some of the greatest professional investors. Why sell something that's working? Don't don't get off of the bullet train to go step onto the subway. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, from a growth standpoint, from from trying to grow wealth in financial markets, you don't get off of the supersonic jet to go get onto a boat. That's mm-hmm. not that's not how you succeed in this environment. So, uh, hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I am delighted to be joined by Scott Pollan, uh, former derivatives trader and commodity economist. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. So, you first got in touch about, about GameStop. So, I think maybe the best place to really begin the interview is to talk about where you first heard about this story. Yeah, so I first heard about GameStop when I was sitting on the 23rd floor of the Schwab Center in downtown Chicago, overlooking the Chicago River and the, the CME building. And I was watching, it was, uh, I had front row seats to watch the financial world uh, cannibalize itself for a day. And it was an incredibly unique experience. Uh, and I'll be completely honest with you. I FOMO'd in at 350. I spent a thousand bucks on three shares, and I was like, "This is, woo, this is something." And when I watched the system go PCO, I was in shock. I think a lot of people worldwide, industry wide, were just in shock of like, "Whoa!" Like clearing and settlement failure. Oh no. Um, and that kind of started the journey of studying you know, how does clearing and settlement work? What, what is the, like, what, what is the price? Where does the price come from? And um, I'm a commodities dude, so I care a lot about prices and different prices in different venues, right? So you have desk to desk price, you have office to office price, list, listed prices, different exchange prices. So it's kind of a, if you want to go down the rabbit hole, you can, you can chase. There's a lot of information there. Yeah. So um, you say you were in the Schwab building. Um, what were you doing there at that time? Sure. Um, I was working with a, a private family firm. We were doing we, the the firm provides risk management services to precious metal bullion dealers. So when you go online and and buy an ounce of gold or silver or platinum or palladium, that you are you are receiving a physical product, but that business entity that you're working with is offloading the price risk of the gold or the silver into the derivatives market as a way to control price volatility on their end from an inventory management standpoint. So uh, we were providing boutique risk management services for some of the biggest dealers uh, in the world, and it was a, it was a wonderful place to sit and learn about what OTC is. How does it actually work? What is a what is being a swap dealer? What is ISDA? A lot of my mentors um, have been ISDA traders in the past or are currently, and it's um it's a really important part of the world that not many people know really that much about. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, so uh, obviously going through the GameStop saga um, and watching it firsthand and getting the kind of education that came along with reading the the, the endless reams of, of DD that was, was produced was uh, an unparalleled education in the financial system and one that you probably wouldn't get at a, a regular um, college, uh, yeah, to say the least. So maybe to get to make sure this is like understood for people who maybe don't tune in to all of the GameStop episodes that I make um, is to get you to put like put forward what you were watching unfold. So how would how would you explain to someone who didn't really know what had happened, how this unfolded and, and from your perspective, particularly? OK, Um so like the, the one-mile overview, there was a market failure, and then like 250,000 people came together to dissect it uh, in, in what I feel is one of the largest crowdsourced research endeavors ever. And the level of the, D, the DD that comes through Superstonk and Reddit GME and some of these other pages, the, the due diligence library, uh, the archive, that's... PH, some of that is PhD and master's level research. This is not amateur stuff. I, I want people to understand some of it with the, the things that have been vetted and reread and have the theories that have had holes poked in them over and over again are pretty valid. There's some serious legitimacy to this. And I know this because I have contributed to the DD library and I've done my own statistical analysis and I used a particular, um, you know, mathematical analysis that the hedge funds use. Mm. You know, Monte Carlo is what um, Renaissance tech uses. You know, these are uh, high-level stats methods. Mm. Um, you know, trying to tease out what what is the swap. So there's been it's it's like looking at a black hole, right? You can't directly observe it, so you can only see the wake it leaves as it moves through space, and we, I've been able to tease out mathematically at least some validation of the existence of some of these swaps that have been discussed. Mm. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. an it's it's an incredible endeavor, really, to have witnessed. Like mm -hmm. I, because and there's the there's something that the the media really misses, right, about this story. The idea is that we're all idiots. <laughs> that we've we've all we're all you know pouring over something that didn't happen and doesn't exist, and instead, when you actually look at what's what's being produced, as you've said, is is the, the most ridiculous like quality and depth, and and the it's it's unbelievable to watch how deep and how 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 obsessed people can get about something when. When they feel they've been wronged in a way, you know, and I don't even think it's about them, like when they feel they should be rich, because I don't think that's what's driving them. It's it's like about they feel that the system broke and that, that there should be consequences for that. And yet it feels to a lot of people like there hasn't been. All right. So well, there's two parts to that. Um, it's an incredibly complex system that we're inheriting. 
right? So we're, you and I, we're pretty young. And so step one, it's an incredibly complex system. That alone, you know, you've heard Dave Lauer talk about this. Complex systems have a million different pathways, and it is really difficult to actually model the interconnectedness of a, a system with hundreds or thousands of nodes uh, and data centers, data points. Um, so that's why it's so important that we've had so many incredibly talented contributors to helping piece the story together. Uh, the, the, the team, the group, uh, the, the headless snake, the leaderless, you know, mob <laughs> has gone down every direction that you can go and then written something about it. And then it opens a, a an opportunity for discussion about those ideas to see if they are valid or not valid. And this is what analyst groups do you know, for security agencies. This is how we actually explore and find answers to complex questions is you go down every single pathway and then you have an over, you know, look at the tree, then look at the forest, then look at another tree and look at the forest. And I, I, and now to the second part of your question, I do feel that there is some significant change that has been taking place in, in the self-regulatory environment. So I, um, have held a series three license and I'm a non-public arbitrator with FINRA. So I've been uh, educating myself about different aspects of the industry and dispute resolution. A lot of disputes are settled. And I, I know some people at SuperSonk are not going to like this, but in, in the business world, in professional business, if you are having a dispute or an issue with one of your customers, you want to take care of that with them directly because that's customer client relationship. If there is wrongdoing or if someone feels that wrongdoing has happened, it's really important to try to work that out as people. And only when that fails, do you pursue these other things. Now, the, sh the clearing and settlement of what has happened with GameStop's equity and other stocks trading in the marketplace. Um, it, I'm not a clearing and settlement expert. Uh, Dr. Trimbath is pretty good. She knows a lot of the nuances of a definitely significantly nuanced industry sector, hmm. but the, the piping failed is the easiest analogy. Something happened and all the water pressure ended up on one water main and a pipe burst. Now, how did the regulatory authorities and the firms react? Well, they reacted as they are supposed to react and how it is the system is intended to react, which is to calm fires. Um, the trading industry, the Chicago Board of Trade in Chicago, I used to volunteer at the Art Institute and sit and stand in front of the actual teller booths of the original Chicago Board of Trade. And that's where the phrase over the counter comes from. It's physically a, a teller window. You'd walk up to the counter and make a, do a transaction with the broker there. The system is designed to provide a safe environment for growth and opportunity to, for companies to raise capital. And part of that is reducing or dampening extreme volatility. Now, we can go down uh, the golden path of what does that actually mean. But there is a role that these institutions play for, they, they provide a service to society. And so in, in my university program, 
we, so I'm a student at the Colorado School of Mines, we study economics of, of commodities and mineral resources for society and civilization. And we talk a lot about economic rent and services for society. Mm -hmm. The goal is to provide a service. The goal is not to bend society over and, you know, flush out their pockets, right? Um, if, and the, be the beauty of financial markets is that if you do get too greedy, things happen and people notice and they undercut you. And that has happened in every single economic sector forever in all of history is the best cure for high prices is high prices. And with GameStop, we've noticed that there are some people that may or may not, depending on your perspective, have been charging too much for their service. Let's think of it this way. They've been charging too much for their service. And now the customers of the industry are saying, we don't want to pay for your extra service anymore. We're going to find alternatives. And that is a way that you could view direct registration mm -hmm. and buying through people buying shares through computer share. Um, it, and, and ultimately, this is the greatest personal finance lesson for so many people that have never handled wealth or, or they didn't grow up with money or they don't save, they don't have good saving habits. Picking the best way to learn about the stock market is to buy a stock and then just pay attention to it. And in this situation, so many people have picked such a fantastic business with a great market sector and a real true fundamental trajectory of growth. And we don't, we don't even need to get into the leadership aspect of who is leading this team and the experience of the board of directors of the company GameStop. It's a really unique opportunity where thousands and thousands of what you could call dumb money are learning and they're not learning from an undergraduate you know, finance department. This is Masterclass 101 to, to 501 to 10,001, and it's all free. It's all free right there at your fingertips. It's the coolest thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love how you've put that. It, is, it has been the most ridiculously cool education. Um, I mean, I still wouldn't call myself an expert in any sense. <laughs> um, the thing that uh, is is astounding is the amount of detail that so many people understand about so many different things like the and i i've talked about it in the in the book it's about the the, the ridiculous like amount of complex information required to understand some of the memes and why they're funny <laughs> is is insane when you really think about because you know you could get that say you, you get like really niche things right but it and, and really niche memes that you need to understand in like all bunches all, all sorts of different communities right but normally it's ones that people have been obsessed with for like decades right or it's like uh i don't know like physics memes for people who study physics like all their life through through university and you'd have to understand a whole bunch of of like complex different theories to understand it right except this is something that people learned about in the space of a year in their spare time while scrolling reddit <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. it's pretty, pretty funny huh yeah it's 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 wild um i mean it's why it's such a fantastic topic to write about um and the the 
the even better aspect is that there's there's something there. It's not it's not that like I'm watching a community of of a hundred thousand plus be obsessed about something that's not there at all. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 completely different. It's it's difficult to tell how much is real sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to go back because so you when when it all kicked off, right? You know, market failure or regulatory systemic failure, and the buy button gets turned off, right? So you're watching mm-hmm. from the the Schwab offices. What was the the like real time reaction from people in the industry, like even just around you in the office, or like people you spoke to uh, in in yeah, just who work in finance that that day? Like, what was the prevailing sentiment? All right, so and now this is where my experience is unique, where one of my mentors was the broker for the Bunker Hunt family. I understand mania very well. I've studied this from a microeconomic standpoint. I've done statistical analysis of mania and bids and how bid rigging works. Um, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at that. And at the time, most people in the industry were dumbfounded and thought it was a joke. And that's why when you see a lot of the reactions of the initial analysts and people, they were like, this is bullshit. Because you looked at what was happening and it had all the hallmarks of mania, Mm. tulips. It looked, looked just like it. Now where things got different is, and now there's a particular interview that people have found where, uh, from a, a particular hedge fund manager, what was happening with the derivatives trading and w- the short interest was unique. That is not something that should be happening. Um, and that's part of why all these regulatory changes are happening related to short positions. Um, all right. So we're sitting there, we're watching it happening. It's, it's like a joke. Seriously, you're sitting in the office and you're like, how could this be happening? This does not make any sense. And, and like I said before, I caught it way late and i was i was sitting there i I caught it when it came up on the news in the office and i said no way and then i started looking and i hopped and i had been you know lurking on wall street bets prior to that i knew some of the background of this and um and i just i looked at this and said no way and position close only is something that happens so it when you are managing accounts for other people pco occurs or putting a hold on someone's account saying, Hey, you can't make any more trades until you deposit more margin, making margin as a futures trader broker and doing the OTC risk management that I've worked on. um, There's a lot of communication with your clients and saying, Hey, the market's gone against you today. We're going to watch it tomorrow. But right now, as is, you know, you need to give me $2 million. And that's like a relatively normal conversation. And I was working in precious metals, so the values are really large, right? So asking someone for $2 million, $5 million, $6 million is not uncommon or unnormal, uh, abnormal. It's, it's front of the mill for that asset sector. But very rarely do you actually want to bust out your client's position. It's not in anyone's best interest to, to blow out your, your client's account. 
Um, so we work with each other and my job as a broker too is to provide advice to people and to say, well, this is how I feel about the market. So if you want to speculate, fine, but these are the things that might happen. Mm. And the know your customer requirements um, are pretty standard. And generally most brokers do try to genuinely learn about the person that they're working with because we need to understand your risk tolerance. Now, at some of the larger firms, that doesn't, that's not how they operate. I've worked with small privately held teams that have the highest level of credibility of anybody where reputation is so much more important than anything else. Mm. And the reputation is do honest business and don't burn people. Mm. So my perspective is a little different. Um, but if you do, if you are making margin calls and you have to blow out your customer's account, that is not good. Mm. Everybody wants to avoid that. That's why when people are reading about Bank of America and some of the large accounts at, I'm sorry, I shouldn't name names, uh, let's say Wells Fargo or JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs. Uh, when, when you're reading about some of these large prime brokers <laughs> and the idea of them margin calling their largest clients, come on, for, do you really want to margin call and bust out the account of somebody that provides 30% of the revenue for your business? Absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely not. It is in no one's best interest to blow up a systematically important business. That is not the purpose of stable markets. That is not what we want to do. We want a peaceful resolution where this can be resolved in an orderly fashion. So as folks are trying to say, what's Moas going to be? I'm telling you, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> you can bleep that out if you need to. But No, it's fine. <laughs> what I what I would honestly what I would like to see is a very long, prolonged, peaceful transition. And that way we can avoid some of the fallout of what it actually means to liquidate major institutions. It is it's not good. It's not a good thing. So yeah, when when a company like uh Bed Bath and Beyond or um Kohl's or Sears or Toys R Us, when a business like that goes bankrupt, there is a restructuring process that is relatively orderly. Not everyone loses their jobs or gets, you know, a, a, a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. When a systematically important institution goes down, the waves are felt literally around the planet. And I'm not so concerned. This is where me as a, a global economist, this, I'm not as concerned as the fallout here in America. I'm more concerned about the fallout in sensitive places, sensitive communities related to food supply and st political stability, water supply, sanitation, hy hygiene. Because when giant global turmoil happens in the economy, those are the communities that get affected the most. Mm. So part of the whole idea of providing economic stability, market efficiency, stable markets is, yeah, there's stuff that happens at the top, but there's a lot of stability that is brought to the entire planet at the bottom. And if the goal is to increase people's well-being and quality of life, then stopping GameStop from going thermodynamic, you know, or, or to, uh, uh, what would that be, stoichiometric, keeping it from, from going to 100, um, that is in the best interest of the entire planet. Ooh. 
Ooh, right? Hot right? take, man. Hot right? take. So these are these are the kind of discussions we have at Minds where it's like, all right, betterment of society, new technology, and this there there will be a resolution. I don't get me wrong. The only thing I see happening here is price goes up from there. I have no idea, but nobody's selling anything. I'm not selling anything. I have a I have had this conversation with people that run some of the largest private equity firms in the world. For, they invest money for sovereign wealth funds, mm-hmm. for government institutions, for pension funds. You know, we we fund mines and the the supply of resources to society. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that GameStop is a ticket, and at least everyone in our community knows that they're not letting go of that for cheap. And most, at least from my understanding, the demographic group of people that are invested in GameStop are all young, you know, primarily younger than 50 years old. So that means minimum people have 10 years, 15 years to ride and doesn't cost you anything to hold long positions. My time horizon is at least 30 years. In my family, we've held stocks from generations, multiple generational wealth, stock paper certificates that were handed person to person. Um, you know, I learned about computer share and the direct registration system when I was 18 years old because I inherited actual paper stock certificates. And then I had to go and put those into the system, into the digital system. So, and what's happening with computer share? That's amazing. This is the, right. the one of the, right. th- this is a, th- this is a, a, a American constitutional uh, phenomena where people and and not and in you're overseas everybody in the world that is participating in this it understands that this is related to uh rights rights to ownership you should be able to own in your own name what is yours and when you buy a car even if it has a loan on it it's in your name and when you buy a house even when it has a loan on it it's in your name so why is it that when you buy a stock, even if you have a loan on it, it's not in your name? That is not that that seems to me to be a relic of a digital system that hasn't adapted to the 21st century. Yeah, sorry, you just made me want to look at the DRS count right now, but I can't find where it is. Oh, this is, I mean, this is amazing. I nowhere. There are so many things about GameStop from an analysis standpoint that are anomalous. That's why it is truly an idiosyncratic risk. From a risk standpoint, nobody you can't model this. I can't put numbers to this to make sense of this. The best behavioral psychologists in the world can't make sense of this. Here's my copy of Nudge, right? You know, Dr. Thaler's office at the University of Chicago. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You know, I've been in Chicago for a long time. And you know, behavioral psychology is super real. Okay, so and you had mentioned why people haven't gotten off of GameStop. Yeah. There's tons of research in the behavioral psych world that shows that people remember losses in a very deeply emotional way. And it has to do with brain hormones. And we remember losses way more vividly and and deeper emotional memories compared to positive. So wins. So you don't remember the wins, you don't remember the small steps, but if you have a loss, you are gonna, that's gonna burn you for a long time. And in, in the trading industry, 
this is just kind of an old saying, which is the best way to learn is to lose money because you will never forget where you went wrong. Yeah. You'd be like, ah, oh. and then you'd go back and you play it over again in your head and you're like, that's where I made this wrong decision. And then if you're smart, you write it down so that you don't make that same mistake in six years, you know, or 12 years. Yeah. Yeah, so the we reckon. Sorry, I just got the the DRS numbers up because I wanted to check. Mm -hmm. um, so we are at currently. Can we screen share so people can see this? This guy reckons that there is only five percent left of the float to lock when you take away the official short interest and what's been um, DRS and what's owned by institutions. Um, which is exciting. Anyway, uh, the the main point is that we're at seventy five million on DRS, so that is that's a lot. That is that's a lot. This is just this this blows my mind. It's yeah, and twenty five percent of a multi billion dollar company. Like this is, what? This is, this is what this is what generational wealth looks like to to all of your viewers, to everyone watching. This is what it looks like. You find a beautiful, wonderful opportunity and you sink your teeth in and you do not let go because a career can be made off of two or three or five good trades. That's it. Warren Buffett, he does not make trades every single day. He finds incredible opportunities and then he sinks his teeth in, and then he doesn't let go because success in financial markets is compounding interest. Mm -hmm. It's not day trading. Success is holding on for a long time. And, you know, Warren has said it. Uh, Ryan Cohen has alluded to this. Bless you. Um, the uh, DFV has mentioned this. You know, where is it going? Up. How long? You know, what's an exit strategy? I, there isn't. Yeah. And, and we get to own a slice of a company that has $5 billion of cash flow. That's incredible. And I do discounted cash flow analysis as, uh, analysis as part of school, net present value analysis. We do these for mining projects. We do these for industrial facilities. Um, at GameStop, if you want to analyze it that way, you can. I don't think it's I, the appropriate way to do it. I think that there are better tools for analyzing retail-oriented businesses. But just from a discounted cash flow perspective, like, duh, Duh. no debt billion and a half in the bank rockstar team we are we're so lucky and the fact that it's trading at you know in the teens i the challenge that i've been running into unfortunately is that um i'm in school yeah so so i i get out at the end of this year and i'm excited to be working again because then i get to buy more of my favorite investment mm-hmm you know, and, and I do have a diversified portfolio. I'm not, um, I, I, and as a professional trader, as a licensed series three trader, I understand different asset sectors and I have a diversified portfolio. GameStop is not my only investment. I, it's not, I would never advocate to anyone to have one investment, not just your home, not just, well, hey, it's, <laughs> each their own, each their own. But I, 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 I do believe that people should have a rainy day fund and they should have some cash set aside because accidents and things do happen. And 
getting in a cash crunch is the kind of thing that makes you have to sell before you want to. Mm. So let's build ourselves a table, not with three legs or four legs or five legs or six legs. Let's build ourselves a table with a moat of, you know, all, we're supported in all areas. And that includes having some rainy day money, you know, and I know people are really strapped for cash right now. Mm. And, you know, I'm in graduate school. I watch exactly what's going on in the economy. And yeah, money's difficult to come by right now. That said, uh, every time I get some cash, I'm dumping it right into you know what. Yeah. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. actually know how to sell from computer share. I've never looked at how to do it. I've okay. only <laughs> I've only put shares in there. I've never actually examined. So even if you asked me to sell them, I couldn't like <laughs> um well, I, I will say I did experiment and I sold a fractional share as a limit order to clear out the uh, dingleberries in the account, or so they say. And uh, and they, they either wire you the money or mail you a check. So I do actually recommend to everyone that has a computer share account, you should actually learn how to get money out of these accounts because mm -hmm. even if your exit strategy is no exit, you know, if you are, um, if you, you know, stand with blueprints and the idea of, uh, those concepts, um, it, you should still know how to get money out of an account. That's part of like due diligence and being a prudent investor is actually knowing how to do this. Yeah. So, what's you know, a, what's, I, what's an exit me, strategy? Me to you, I, what's an exit <laughs> strategy? Well, no, I mean, and now this is a really serious question is where do where do we want to go with this where do you want to go with this and um my exit strategy is uh, i don't have to do anything for a long time so i'm going to cross that bridge when i get to it but for people that are more concerned about how they're going to exit these positions there are some really good resources out there um cosmic lightning warrior has a great video mm. about how to uh explore different strategies to exit a position um there is lots of uh writing from from various authors and academics about timing and exit i mean i don't believe in those things i think it's incredibly foolish to try to time a market um my whole strategy with gamestop has been uh it's impossible to know where the bottom is it's impossible to know when uh the, the rocket engines start so do what you can when you can at that you know today mm. Yeah, well, I mean, which we, is which is the the easy thing. Yeah, I think I'll think about sell. I'll think about my exit strategy when we pick up the five hundred apes. <laughs> when we finally get those boys, then then we'll we'll see about that. Hopefully, they've averaged down at this point. At least some of them. Well, and and you know, if GameStop is a creating profit and distributing dividends, and they are the plan to transition the business is fulfilled. Um, why sell a good asset that's you hear it from some of the greatest professional investors why sell something that's working don't don't get off of the bullet train to go step onto the subway mm. that's right you know from a growth standpoint from from trying to grow wealth in financial markets you don't get off of the supersonic jet to go get onto a boat that's mm. not that's not how you succeed in this environment yeah so uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more 
about your perspective sort of watching then so we've talked about what it was like watching people think oh this is crazy it's stupid you know this is all bullshit like what the fuck's happening then price hits 480 um 483 uh 503 i think it was in pre-trading but 483 buy button gets turned off price crashes and then the world ensues to go completely nuts over this thing but then like up 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 it takes back up to i don't know like 300 something and then like fires back down to like 60 or 40 i think mm -hmm. it got to at one point and then the thing started ticking up and up and up and up and up and up again in uh march i believe where it hit 350 um and then dropped off a cliff out of nowhere and then the same thing happened up to about 300 I can't remember when it was, like sometime later that summer, August, I think. Um, like, w did anyone pay attention to it inside the financial sector at that point? Or, or had it, or yeah, or had, yeah, okay. Because like my, my one, I, I wonder if like, I wonder about how much it's being paid attention to. Because, you know, we can all sit here and think, okay, you know, people are still short on GameStop. They never covered, they've rolled it over forever. They've hit it using... ETFs or swaps or, you know, deep out of the money puts or like some, some way. And, you know, we think that there's still people who are set, who are losing money, like, sh like shorting it down. Um, but then I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, it's like, are we imagining all this? Do you know what I mean? Or is this, is this a fiction? Like, does uh, no one in the financial industry care anymore? Uh, yeah. So, so to, to the, to the people listening, um, I've been nodding my head. Yes. Yes. People are paying attention. <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, there's a reason to, uh, for everyone. There's a reason the SEC is talking about this mm -hmm. and they made a special report about it. There is a reason elected officials are talking about this. People have been writing letters. GameStop investors, not so much, actually. A lot, you know, we've been doing lots of contributions to SEC rule changes and comments in that section, but I think people could do a better job of contacting their elected representatives at home. Um, some of the folks that have been the best advocates about reaching out to their elected officials are the ones that have been burnt. Mm -hmm. Folks that were invested in a particular company that's involved in the oil and energy industry. So, so that business had some shenanigans and those investors have been very vocal with their representatives. And then you hear that come up at these uh, house, house committee meetings. So uh, yeah, people are paying attention. Inside the biggest and most powerful offices on the planet, everyone, if you know anything, you're paying attention to what's going on with GameStop. You have someone that's watching this because when GameStop was going up, people were shorting it and their accounts were getting blown out one after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. Big traders, because they looked at it and said, there's no way GameStop's going to be over $150. That's, you know, it's divorced from reality. Um, so they put in a short at 150 and then it went to 483. They got that. That's a blown out position like 100%. So they got called and they had to come up with the money unless they could 
put some margin on it or unless they could reduce the risk by maybe putting on a swap, right? So lots of things, lots of hasty decisions were made in the extreme volatility event and humans are emotional animals and some people did react emotionally and I know some of these people. I work with a market making firm right now and I'm working on launching a computational trading business, a hedge fund management corporation. And I know these folks, they are my colleagues. I don't think ill of them at all. I have the, the utmost amount of respect. And really I do believe that this event caught so many people off guard because there was some fraud being committed mm. and who and how that fraud was being committed is to be determined, but it ended up turning into a really serious risk management situation. And like I'm a risk manager, it's my job to create models of volatility events. And so when you watch the, the movie margin call, there's a pretty good idea of kind of walking through what these discussions are like. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, no, I have. It's a great film. Actually, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's, um, it's, it's, not quite as, I don't know, pop culture-y as The Big Short. But if you enjoyed that, um, I think you'll enjoy Margin Call. It's a little bit more cerebral um, and sort of like slow burning. But, you know, there's some great performances in it. Uh, there's uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, Paul Bettany, um, Spock. I, oh, don't, yeah. I don't know what his name is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't it, know what the actor's a, name is. Spock. It, 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 no, it's, it's a... <laughs> A motley crew of, of fantastic, um, you know, film actors and producers. And um, also, well, in, in that particular movie, I've got a, a, a cousin who does color and, and lighting uh, oh, engineering cool. on movies. So that movie has a lot of uh, cool lighting to help and color to help influ influence that emotional response. But there's, so there's a lot of emotion in trading offices. But there's a particular segment where they're talking about variance and volatility and models where they say, oh, on this day, we breached this boundary. And on this day, oh, on this day, and this day, we're testing the boundaries of the model. Well, the model is a statistical analysis of price history. And then we can induce parameters like, let's put a boundary where every single time the price goes up outside of the standard deviation, you know, two standard deviations away from the 200-day moving average, two standard deviations away from the 50-day moving average you can put these boundaries around your trading environment which say or here's another thing 20 percent down on a short position if you go 20 percent down from when you put your short position on there should be an automatic indicator on your desktop or you know some kind of alert that you're getting that says hey maybe it's time to bail from this <laughs> um so when gamestop was running up risk management teams at some of the biggest offices around the world had their hair on fire. They were losing it because what was happening was so unique. It, there weren't the same, the same risk management tools that work in regular situations were not working with with GameStop. Yeah, so from a market making standpoint, we use a lot of math to do this, but when a price runs, typically you feed the demand. 
And then when the price comes back down, you cover your position. Mm. And uh, there's some great writing about market making for for um, over-the-counter stocks and, and, and micro-cap companies. Being a market maker for those during high volatility events can be really dangerous because you can get caught short or long, depending on what's going on um, in that trading environment, because there's not as much volume, mm. one, and they're, they're what we describe as thinly traded markets. Um, I think we will probably never know exactly what happened and what was discussed and, and how GameStop's volatility event was handled. Um, but what I do know is that if you take a sign function and implement a sine wave over the GameStop chart, that's a natural system. That is a sign function. You can mathematically model that volatility event perfectly with harmonic natural math. And this is where physics and finance, this is where rubber meets the road. So all the best financial modelers have physics backgrounds and we're natural scientists because the financial market is a natural system built by humans. So it's bound by natural human, like natural laws. So, Sorry, I mean, could you explain the sine wave thing a bit for me? Sure, sure. Um, you can, using statistical modeling software, you can implement variation. You, you can superimpose a sine function over over the price chart. And then you can even do this with math and say, hey, curve fit a sine function to this price price path. And... You know that was that was part of my my statistical analysis DD, but I didn't really include it in what I posted. But there is information to be gained by curve fitting a function to this, and a lot of the you know I'm I'm pretty sure the term for this is attenuation. So I believe what we're seeing is wave attenuation. So this is yeah what 100 percent look at the GameStop chart, you need to analyze this like a physicist. If this was a tuning fork and someone hit, ding, they hit their tuning fork and you watch the way that wave dissipates and its energy is distributed out into the uh, the fluid that is air around it, um, that's what's going on with GameStop is we, we are watching, in my opinion, this, this is a, uh, phys physics is going to be the best way to represent this price chart. Okay. Oh, hang on just and a lot just... of people i and i have serious issues with technical analysis i am i'm a quantitative analyst i use stats i don't like to chart i think it's foolish to try to represent mathematical systems numerical systems with visual systems because that's there's going to be information that's lost in that just that one step of translation of going from chart you know number to image yeah um okay so can you see my screen here i can see your screen yeah okay so does this does this graph do a, a good enough job of what you mean here because i'm just sorry i was just trying to visualize it i remember the sign tan and cos stuff from from my so so google mathematics google, um, but that was a while back google the word attenuation a-t-t-e let's make sure i'm spelling straight yeah a-t-t-e-n-u-a-t-i-o-n oh, attenuation, attenuation. okay, okay. There you go. See that picture on the bottom left? This one. That is what that. So we can use physics math to represent the price path 
of GameStop. Okay. That is what has happened here, right there. Okay. So now, what is causing that? You know, what is causing this is yet to be determined. My opinion, and is that these are mathematical boundaries set by a swap, the math, the underlying mathematics of multiple swap contracts. Because okay. swaps are math, it's a math, all swaps in their essence are mathematical calculations. Okay. So what you're saying is that the chart here is an expression of this massive release of energy that's then sort of dissipated out somewhat like a sine wave. And that has happened because it's being pushed in that way by models that are driven by mathematics, obviously. And that's why we're seeing this sine wave sort of dissipation of energy from the stock. Yes. Okay. So when, when people say the price is controlled by an algo, they're not wrong, yeah. but they're not accurately representing what a trading algorithm is. A trading algorithm is a way to, you do statistical analysis on the data set, and then when certain parameters are met, you have a corresponding action. And then you continue to analyze data, and when certain parameters are met, you have a corresponding action. So that's why you see statistical analysis at the top, an event, happens, shorting begins. Mm. Statistical analysis happens, we reach a bottom, buying begins. Maybe it's related, and now the parameters, we don't have access to the parameters that are used by some of these firms. They're, these are really uh, sophisticated tools that there have been numerous, you know, 100 million, billion dollar lawsuits over control of this IP. You know, we have our, in, in the business I'm starting, we have our own intellectual property and someone who's created a computational trading algorithm that does just this statistical analysis, send out a uh, command for, you know, do something in the market, analyze, change. Um, that's, that's how we do computational trading. But the, there are multiple competing algorithms in the market. It's not just one. And people do go out and develop trading systems to sniff for other people's trading algos so that they can take advantage of it. Mm. Right? It's adversarial. So think of like, like you know, dueling pianos, it's dueling algos. Oh. You know, and, it's, and we're, we're us, us, the GameStop investors, we've got our pints of Guinness <laughs> and we're dancing and singing along for the ride. Yes. Because we know we're right. We just need to chill out. And it, like, like, so be, this is, if I could send a message to everyone, all of your viewers, uh, all the people that I've never met that are invested in GameStop, and I have met many people in person, um, we're right and be patient. And the hardest thing for young people to, the most difficult thing is to just be patient and let good things happen to you. Because when you're trying to force good things in your life every single day, you're going to burn out the people around you and you're just going to, you know, you're, you're, don't, don't do that. 
have confidence in yourself, have confidence in the community that has developed around this unique opportunity, this is the perfect confluence of technology communication, uh, availability of information. You know, this is information, right? To be a good trader, you need better information than everyone else. And, you know, we have right currently, we have the best information in the world. We have a decentral, essentially a decentralized hedge fund think tank, Yeah, which is a huge, with like billions of dollars at our disposal and no leader and no uh, people can come and go as they please. Like, like Superstonk is one of the more powerful organizations, if you could even call it that, amorphous blobs um, in the financial world right now. Mm. Yeah, the, yeah, I can't remember. Oh, actually, hang on. I can quote myself. Where is it? <laughs> um, oh, I'm not going to be able to find it in time. Hmm. Basically, we had the buying power of a hedge fund at the time of the biggest hedge funds. It was the buying power of like $1.5 billion just um, in one single day, which is more than any mad, wild hedge fund excursions of money spending. Um, it's a really wild situation to still be caught up in. Um, the I think what you were saying about the the risk, the risk management people losing their mind was the same reason that people are still obsessed with this, right? Is because no one knows what's going to happen because there is no roadmap. There is no, like, here's the, here's the, here's the what should happen. You know, here's the other 10 examples from history of what, of what should happen in this situation. Because, you know, the, the, the closest thing we've got is the, the SpongeBob opening the, the, the case meme with the, the squeeze, the Volkswagen squeeze graph and the you are here right at the bottom. And that's the closest thing anyone's got to like, what should happen here. But that's only because we all want that to happen. Or, well, not yourself, actually, interestingly. Um, but, yeah, I want to go back to that just before we wrap up. So you're not convinced that, that MOAS, or, well, yeah, that MOAS is in the greater interest of humanity as a whole because the, the, the large financial institutions that would have been displaced by MOAS or would have been ruined and destroyed by MOAS are so fundamentally intertwined with so many aspects of the global supply chain that to destroy them would be so damaging to the planet as a whole that we shouldn't wish that that had happened. Is that about accurate? You don't even have to listen to me about it because the NSCC, the DTC, the DTCC, the OCC, all those organizations, FDIC, they have all been changing procedures and they've been asking for more uh, contributions of collateral and capital from their participants and they've changed their rules for an orderly dissolution if a, if a clearing member fails. They've done things like remove auto liquidation. So, right, you don't want to blast out your customer's position because then that influences the market. And if it's a big customer, that could, have a, could destroy a market. So the idea of just transferring collateral from the person who lo is losing money to the person who can cover, you know, so say, say company A is now evaporating and their money needs to go to the customers of company B. 
now we're just going to transfer the asset by name. It's never going to be sold. It's just going to transfer. And what that does is it reduces the down because now you don't have a company selling off $65 billion or so of assets to cover a short position, mm. um, for example. So I would like to see an orderly resolution here. And many times in financial markets, we've been able to, we, I say humanity has been able to broker the deal. This has happened on many squeezes over the years. It actually is usually the resolution to any short squeeze. You know, there's the, um, I forget the exact name of the railroad, but that's a perfect example of industry titans butting head needing to meet a, and, and a brokered resolution from a regulator uh, because it was starting to damage other firms. I believe that that is what the regulators and top teams have been doing for the last two years. That is, if I were them, which maybe one day I will be, I would be, okay, we need to stop what's happening right now. Pause. It's okay to pause. It's like an okay thing to do when you're having an argument with someone, right? Pause. Let's take a break. Time out. Mm -hmm. Let's go to our rooms for five minutes. Let's come back after we've you know, gone for a walk around the block. Yeah. That's an okay I mean, thing. That's kind of what happened. That's okay. Right. That is kind of what happened. And I get that that's acceptable. But the pause was only for retail. The institutions didn't have to stop. That's what's, for me, really screwed up. Because I get what you're saying, right? I get that, that at some points in, some, in such a massive, complex system that, that has such an impact upon society as a whole, right? We could talk about how much they should actually be able to impact society as a whole, but that's a different conversation. But they can say, okay, this particular thing is getting out of control. This is going to, like, is you You may never know the scale of the consequences that you might be, like, thrusting upon the world by failing to do that, right? So I get it. Especially if you're the person in charge, this thing's fucking going crazy, you've got 500 hedge fund managers on in you know phone in your office being like um what is happening here like what is going on why am i losing millions why is this you know uh, selfishly motivated from their point of view obviously because they shouldn't have shorted it but uh, <laughs> the what what makes you like that that's the basically the point is like i get you i get what you're saying but i I feel like it wasn't quite like that. They turned the buy button off for retail investors. They still let everybody close out. They still let hedge funds short it. They still let hedge funds and all financial institutions buy it. So it seems like this was more a, it was more targeted than what you're implying. It was, the system is intended to work for the participants and retail traders, are not the largest participants. Mm -hmm. Now their money funds via investments and pensions funds, their money funds a lot of participants, but the, the major participants are not retail traders. One, that's just a fact and that needs to be understood. So the system is not intended to work for retail traders. It's intended to work for industry participants. Now, I don't agree with that. And I think it should be fair and equitable between all parties. If you go back and look at my comments on statements and rule proposals, I'm very clear. We need to do some overhaul so that we have a 21st century marketplace because right now we have a 20th century marketplace and it's 
2023 now. So it's time to change. It's time for grandma and grandpa to actually retire and go home so that younger, more technologically equipped people can implement these solutions. So that's happening. It's happening right now. They understand they're not dumb. You know, so don't think that regulators and people that run these firms are dumb and malicious. They're not. They're smart people. They are, many are well-intentioned and they would like to get rich in the process. Okay. So they're not <laughs> malicious, vicious people. Um, that's a misunderstanding, but I don't think what happened is okay. What happened is not okay. Well, I would like to see a resolution that is not going to destroy the planet because we are watching things happen globally. You know, this is when the predictions were made two years ago about what might happen with the bond market. <clears throat> you know, the work by Peruvian bull is pretty telling. And there's other economists and, and uh, theorists. There's a dollar milkshake theory which has circulated. There uh, is a mountain of academic research about what's going on in the macroeconomic environment related to currencies and interest rates right now. So there's some really serious stuff going on. And I talk with people at the Federal Reserve, we're working on this. We're not running away from it. We are trying to make plans and strategies to actually do it. Um, but the only other example I can think of is what happened with Tesla. That was an orderly resolution of a toxic short position. Hmm. Okay. And that it's Mondo squeeze. You know, the chart where it's like, what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck that each, what the fuck point was somebody getting liquidated. Hmm. Okay. So if we can gradually go through this process, we can not destroy pension funds not destroy sovereign wealth funds, not destroy you know people's vitality and future. We would like the people that owe the debt to pay the debt. But if we evaporate them in an instant, the ability for them to pay the debt goes away. And now other people have to come in and pay that debt. The Fed. So you're right. And I'm just trying to, uh, it would be incredible if the stock price went mm -hmm. And it goes straight up to Uranus, you know, and we're living on a colony on the moon. Um, but I do not I'll take, see that happening. I'll take payment in the form of Kenny's penthouse in Miami. I'll do that. That's I w <laughs> If I've learned anything over the years, it's that uh, once you have amassed a fortune, you will do anything to protect it. And you are watching people that have amassed great fortunes. They're doing that anything right now to protect it. Mm. And I am concerned for what the resolution will be, but I know that there's only one pathway forward for this. And that's GameStop's price has got to rise sig significantly because people are not going to let go of shares at $100. So now let's be economic behavioral economists put on our behavioral econ hat. When are people going to start to let go of their positions so that we can unwind this short? Because you need longs to sell in order to unwind. Yeah, right? Okay. So now you, you work for Dr. Thaler. You, you live in Chicago in Hyde Park, right? We'll go down. We'll go to Valois. We'll get some breakfast. All right. 
at what price point do people actually begin to sell? We are working on that. And, and <laughs> yeah. And like, and like, I, I, I can only, I only see this going, you know, up and up and up and up. And then if we can have an orderly resolution of the short position, then apes can still walk off with a bunch of attendees and the rest of the S and P 500 doesn't have to fall 40%. That's a soft landing. That's what we want. That's ideal, you guys. Ideal is we don't burn down the world because we still need to deal with it afterwards. So we want to resolve this in a way that is, and I'm being, trying to be very diplomatic here, and some people are going to say Scott's a hedge fund shill because some listen, people are definitely going to say working. Some people are 100% going to say that in the comments, man. I know. Listen, listen, man, I've spent a lot of time at the country club. I'm taking a, a leap of faith just coming out here because people are going to look at my last name and say, wait a minute, what relationship does he have to other institutions? Um, I think this is, this is going to work out for us. It's going to work out. Holding a long position has no cost associated with it. Apes have time. Ryan Cohen, Larry Chang, Alan, they have a plan, right? Chewy's awesome. GameStop is awesome. But he's so he's so it's a video game store. Yeah. How cool! This is the best MMORPG ever. We are so fucking lucky to play the coolest game with the coolest people at the best time in life. Like, come on, boys and girls, this is awesome. You know, we we are living. The, when you work in professional trading offices, people will talk about living the trade. You need to be so in it and so invested and watching everything that you know what's going to happen before it happens. We are all living the trade, you guys. We are living this to the best. And, and, and I think everyone does actually understand how important this is. It may feel like it's a dismal road because prices come down a lot. As a long investor, hallelujah. Yeah, it makes me, it, I don't like seeing my account dollar value down, but I love that I can build a huge position because my goal is to own a significant portion of this business. Mm -hmm. And every share we buy, we get a big cut of the assets. And that's what value investors, fundamental investors, if you want to do a legit analysis of GameStop as a business, when you buy one share, you get a lot of cash and you get a lot of asset and not much liability. Mm. And there's deferred taxes on the book that they can take advantage of. You know, I was just working on questions related to inventory. Uh, GameStop beefed up on inventory last year and they showed uh, spending uh, on that end, but they haven't expensed it yet because it expenses when they sell it. Mm. So they've got deferred tax benefit going into next year too that people aren't thinking about. There is a clear pathway to profitability for this business. And that should be very, I would be very worried if I had a short position against GameStop. And I've met people that are like, you guys are so dumb. Oh, I've been making money since it dropped from 25. And I'm like, have you closed your position? And they're like, no, I'm riding it to zero. And I'm like, well, then you haven't actually made any money and I haven't actually lost any money. So you have to pay interest. And my company makes money. like. $5 billion worth of it every single year. So I'm cool. What about if we're about to go full circle? 
back to the because that was the prevailing sentiment at the beginning from the hedge fund guys. They were like, "Oh, you guys are like, you know, anyone buying this stock is stupid. It's all a sell. It's going to zero. You know, COVID and you know, video games are going out. You know, their stores are going out of fashion. They're they're done. You know, digitization, everything and." Are we about to come full circle on this to where the, the hedge funds start short again? <laughs> Maybe. Anyway. They have been. They have been. Well, yeah. I mean, what's they the short been. interest? Like 28% yeah. at the minute? Or at least the, the reported short interest. <laughs> if you watch da- daily daily transactions and, and um, a particular institution no longer publishes this number, you need to buy it. Uh, lots of the good data you have to pay for. Uh, mm. That's why... Um, Irvin, uh, Irvin Finance, the terminal that Dave and uh, Alex have been building. Um, we're all very excited about that because data is very expensive. So the idea that amateurs, uh, us, can buy and get access to the good data through uh, a collaborative you know, structure, that's really cool. That's like super, super important because spending $6,000, $30,000 a month on a particular data stream is a significant expense. And mm. that's like quant funds, they have to spend that money to get that data so that they can process it, um, especially HFT firms. Um, all right. What was your question again? Sorry. No, I didn't have a question. It was just saying that I think we're about to come full circle. Anyway, Scott, I feel like this optimism <laughs> and, and madness is the best way to, to, to wrap up. And I know you have another call soon, um, so I don't want to like keep you t- too long. So I just want to say thanks. Um, it's been fantastic getting my economist hat on. Um, and yeah, listening to you talk about uh, what it's been like watching this from the inside. It's fascinating and amazing to know that this is not all crazy nonsense from the internet. Oh yeah, no, this is uh, an incredible investment opportunity and things like this only come along in crashes. And these are the kind of things where people that are contrarian really sink into something and hold on hard and make a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. And, I think where apes are a little different is maybe with this money, we can try to do some good in our communities rather than some bad. And I do believe that a lot of the investors are good people and they want to do good. Mm. Um, You know, one of the first things DFV did was go build a track field at his high school. Think of how many school programs, music programs can get funded from GameStop investors or, you know, Diane Fossey's Gorilla Fund. Yeah. They're going to be rolling. Uh-huh. So, but to, to all your viewers, keep it up. Keep the memes flowing. Um, we need more hype videos. Come on, keep the hype videos coming. And, um, you know, I'm doing what I can from the inside. And, and those of us that are in the industry, we are confident that change is happening and this is a slow grind everyone this is a, a a decades project but we're on the right side of the tracks so sleep easy fantastic right thanks very much man it's been a pleasure awesome thanks Jeff. thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast i love that you tuned in this long do me a favor hit subscribe because 80 percent of you bastards are not subscribing but you're watching my videos see you next time